Hello and welcome to episode 55 of the Liverpool Comedy Improvcast with me, Ian Luke-Jones. This is where we get to know the people who make up the LCI community and a place where we get to delve into all sorts of improv topics. And today's guest is the absolutely wonderful Stuart Moses. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and wherever else you get your podcasts. We're even available on Amazon Podcasts, which means you can ask Alexa to play the show. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave us a five-star review and subscribe to the show to give us a boost and help get our name out there. Now it's time to go off script and find out Stuart's true story about making stuff up. And please welcome this week's guest. He is somebody that I often say is one of the best improv teachers I've ever encountered. It is Stuart Moses. Hi, hi. Well, that's a, that's a lovely introduction. Thank you very much. And yeah, I, I'm not just saying that. I often tell people if they can take a, a class with you, then do. Because I had the, well, the, yeah, the the fortune of taking quite a few classes with you during the the pandemic when you were an associate teacher at Liverpool Comedy Improv and they were some of the best classes I've ever taken. No, thank you very much. Um, I take my teaching very seriously. I try not to take myself seriously when I'm teaching it, (laughs) but I put a lot of preparation into anything I teach. And that's partly because I love that aspect of it. I love the doing the research. I love the finding the ideas. I love the putting it together in new ways. And also it just allows me to relax and enjoy the actual teaching session because it's it's easy to teach, but it's hard to think and teach at the same time. So if you're trying to remember how a game goes or something like that, it's very hard to do that and also teach at the same time. So uh, thank you very much. I'm glad you've enjoyed them. Yeah, I definitely have. And I, I'm i sad that I can't actually make it to your in-person class uh, in March, the movement of improvisers, because it, it clashes with... Um, uh, I'm currently teaching dance on Saturdays at um, a make-believe school for children. Um, so I can't make it, but I, I hope to definitely try and make it to an in-person session with you at some point in the future. Well, I'd like you to teach me how to dance at some point. I think that would be a very uh, be a wonderful thing to do. Um, yes, so uh, on the 26th of March, I'm running a session called Movement for Improvisers uh, for Liverpool Comedy Improv. In actual Liverpool, in actual face-to-face with actual people, I am so excited. I mean, you know, it's online stuff has been great, but being in the room with people is just, you know, um it's where I started and it's where I hope to do a lot more yeah and the reason I wanted to run this subject is that I think there's a missed opportunity for improvisers and I think especially in the UK where we're doing a lot of stuff that's very verbal we're using our words we're very clever we're very witty and that's that's great I don't want to take anything away from that but you know, there's, there's all the rest of us as well. And I'm obviously aware that the head is part of the body, but there's all the rest of our body. And, you know, what can we do? How can we use our body to find new characters or find new stories or just, you know, really 
change the direction because it's easy to fall into playing the same characters again and again. Whereas if you use your body, it can take you in new directions. Yeah, and something that you were doing online even was was getting people to get up and move around. And I remember that's one of the things that stood out to me because I was so used to just being in my little Zoom box and just focusing on my face and just sort of sitting there and not really using my body. And I was coming to your sessions and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm able to get up and move around the room and I'm able to sort of move my device and, and not just sit in the same spot. And that I, there was a lot of stuff that I was doing in your sessions. And at the time I was in my my girlfriend Seki's house. We now live together, but at the time we were still living separately and she was downstairs in your sessions and I was upstairs. So I was I didn't really have a lot of space. I was just on a bed and I was often sort of acting on the bed, which made like walking around very <laughs> complicated, but it was always fun to get up. And I, I had some really good scenes uh, sort of trampling around on that bed. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's weird, isn't it? Because it's almost like a revelation. It's almost like you need permission to do it. But I never sit down. Uh, if I'm doing improv online, I will never sit down unless I'm actually sitting down in the scene. I'm always up off my chair um, and I'm really interested in, yeah, move the camera around, shake the camera, um, you know, go stand at the back of your room and speak from there because, you know, we all spent a lot of time on Zoom. We've all seen a lot of improv and it can all start to look very samey. And there's some really simple things you can do. Just mix it up. And how did you find transferring that to sort of zoom prov like did did you just jump in and think i'm just gonna work it out as i go along or did you take some time and sort of think right i think this will work i don't think that will work and sort of were you quite studious about it i was really it sounds ridiculous to say now but i was really suspicious of zoom prov online i was always very much you know face to face i think we all were and then i'm like oh okay this this isn't the same but it's like now we're when now we're film stars rather than theater actors and it's not better or worse mm. no it's not it's just different and if you're a film actor you use different techniques from if you're in the theater and so that idea of you know well how does a camera work how how does film work what can we take from film i thought that was really passionate um that was something i was really passionate about and because i don't think I'm necessarily a very original thinker. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm an assemblage of everything that I've learned from all the other improv teachers that I've had. But what I'm interested in is looking beyond improv. So, you know, in this case, looking at camera techniques and things like that, um, or, or looking at Laban, looking at movement, and what can we take from outside of improv and then bring it into improv? And that's where I'm trying to be different from everybody else by going outside of improv, bringing what I've learned back and then sharing it with people yeah. who are improvising. And that's great. I, I've learned a lot during the pandemic from watching various things that have been put online. And one of the things I would watch is Moses and Bird and your, um, your scenes together, which, you know, I'm a short form guy. I love short form and I love the short form games. But during the pandemic, I slowly started to get more into the idea of, oh, not everything is short form. There's lots of long form or this sort of mid form that came about. 
uh, online and it was yeah it was really good education for me personally to to watch things like Moses and Bird and see oh yeah this is how you play like along a scene out so how did Moses and Bird come about as a, a duo yeah um so it's been it's been great working with Emma and um we did a course at the nursery um led by Lloydie uh, online which was a duos course and just had so much fun working together that we decided to carry on doing it and yeah Emma's great to work with um she's a great improviser and she's also got that acting background as well and I, I just you know I feel that there's a richness to the characters that she brings you know I never doubt that she is truly inhabiting the character that's, that she's playing. Um, so yes, yeah, so, so we've done a bits and pieces um, online. We did a um, Christmas for last, we did a series of Christmas themed um, videos. That was brilliant. Love to do some more, we're planning to do some more. Um, and also on the 25th of March, I'm also gonna be doing a show with Emma um, at the Liverpool Comedy Improv um, show on the Friday. So we're really excited about that. We're rehearsing at the moment and um, it's going really well. <laughs> I mean, if it was going terribly, I, I <laughs> don't think I'd tell you, but um, yeah, having really good fun reconnecting. And what we've been working on so far is establishing our kind of almost traditional style. We, there's certain things that we are drawn towards um, and that work very well. What we both want to do then is to try and break that, try and take things in, you know how far can we get away from what we know we're comfortable doing yeah. and then find a combination of that properly for the show but who knows awesome so are you aiming for like a full 45 minute set um uh emma's in charge of the details i think it's <laughs> going to be that sort of uh maybe half an hour something like that okay so cool. yeah who knows we're, we're still working out what the format's going to be we did a really fun show few years back before all of this nonsense um when I came up um to Liverpool and we did a really fun thing that I stole from um Imogen uh, at um, Bristol Improv Theatre and I saw her do a show and her ask for was to get every member of the audience to speak to another member of the audience about a friend that they had or you know sometimes this friend really supported them or come through for them and that was really nice because it got every, or got the audience all talking to each other and interacting. So it was a lovely vibe in the room. And then Emma and I went and listened to these stories, but we wouldn't hear the whole story. We'd just go around and hear bits and pieces. And then we came back and we repeated back the elements of the stories we had. And then we used those as a basis for our scenes. So we might do something similar to that. We might do something different. It's, yeah, it's, it's really exciting. Awesome. So I want to talk just about your improv journey and how you got into improv, because there's one thing that I often come back to, and I've spoken about it on the sh show a few times, and it's a picture that you shared a while back, and it was <laughs> the first improv session that you were putting on, and there was an empty room and no one came. And I use that as a great sort of inspirational teaching moment to not give up if you, if you want to try something new um yes uh well so yes thank you for talking about that it's always a thrill to hear that talked about and it's not quite what it seems <laughs> but it, i mean the takeaway message don't give up is certainly one that i would encourage 
So I was working um, at a university and wanted to run some lunchtime uh, improv. And there were a couple of other sort of events uh, regularly, you know, on for staff. One was a knit and natter, and one was a kind of a guided uh, meditation. And so I started running lunchtime sessions and we had a few people come along and it was great. And then about four weeks in, the guided meditation uh, person, who shall remain nameless, uh, also I can't remember their name, um, moved their guided meditation to the same lunchtime that I was doing improv. Uh. <laughs> and so uh, that, that drew away some people. Um, and yeah, so that, that led to the time when, yeah, I was sat in this, this empty, uh, empty dance uh, room and yeah, nobody turned up. And I thought, well, let's take a picture of it and share it. <laughs> and, and, and weirdly, it had much bigger effect uh, you know, affected more people, more people interacted with it than the four or five people that have been coming along at the weekend. So, yeah. <laughs> but don't give up. Yeah, don't give up. Keep going. Um, I like to think I'm not necessarily the best, but I'm perhaps the most persistent. And I just keep going. And then, you know, eventually, you know, eventually it'll happen. So how did you get into improv in the first place? So I used to do a lot of uh, tabletop role playing. I don't know if you've ever been a role player. Uh, I'm aware of it. I've not done it. Cool. So um, Dungeons and Dragons is yeah. the big one. Um, I was a Call of Cthulhu player, so set in the 1920s and 1930s, investigating uh, mysteries of cosmic horror. And I'd done it at university and I did it for many years afterwards. And it was a really great way of getting friends together and to tell a story. And the nice thing about telling the story is it would go on for years and years and you'd all be contributing and be this huge ongoing narrative. And uh, my friend Pete, who um, he was brilliant. He was brilliant at just making up details on the spot. And if I didn't like him as much as I did, I'd really hate him for being so good at this. <laughs> but rather than being angry, um, I decided, well, I think most things are a learnable skill. I think, you know, you're never going to necessarily become Olympic quality, but if you spend time learning a thing, you will get better at that thing. Yeah. Um, so um, I was working with Emily Murphy, uh, who is an improviser and was talking to her and said, you know, where should I start? And she said um, Hoopla was one of the options that she gave. And um, it was, yeah, it was brilliant. I was absolutely terrified. I remember hiding in the toilets before the session started. And it was a place called the, the Rag Factory, which was sometimes known as the Rat Factory. Um, it was a super scary place. <laughs> I felt that anyway. And so you don't ever really want to hide in the gents anyway, but certainly not the gents at the Rag Factory. And, but then I, you know, then I did make it through the door and um, Edgar and Maria from Hoopla were running it. And yeah, I felt very welcomed and very supportive. And um, I think the thing I take away from that is I never underestimate how difficult it is just to get through the door of any social situation, but especially improv, because improv 
seems to be a lot harder than it is. Yeah. If you're a beginner, you think, oh, I'm going to have to go in there and I'm going to be like on whose line is it anyway? Mm-hmm. Or middle ditch and swartz or whatever. And yeah, you'll get there, but that's not how you start. <laughs> you'll probably start by doing a clapping game or something like that. And, you know, the, the stakes are super low. So, and I don't know why I thought I had to be good at it, because if I was already good at it, I wouldn't need to join a beginner's class. But then, you know, <laughs> my mind is not always made of logic. But I think that is just within everyone. I know when I was going to my first session, it was a drop-in session in Chester at Liverpool Comedy Improv. And I just assumed I would have to turn up and instantly be funny and instantly just know what I was doing. And I assumed that everybody else in the room had been doing it for years. And then you learn afterwards that that was also the first session for others or they'd only been doing it for a very short time. And really, that the biggest hurdle is just getting yourself through that door and then the rest just falls into place. Yeah, Steve Rowe from Hooper tells a story of how he was phoning up the Maydays to find out when the rehearsal was or when the the class was and he thought he had to be funny on the phone call when he was asking about information about the class. (laughs) That's the last thing that they need really but uh, you know so yeah it's weird isn't it? Does anybody else go to other things and think that they're going to need to be good at it already i don't know (laughs) and i think because it's referred to as improv comedy sort of more widely than improv everyone just thinks that you have to instantly be funny and if you tell people that you do it they're like oh that's not for me or they're like oh tell us a joke then because they hear the comedy bit and think you're a comedian but that's not even how comedy works most of the time (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, even stand-up comedians hate being told, tell us a joke then. Yeah. Nobody likes that. <laughs> because I, wish was a, I was just going to say, I wish that there was a, another way of describing it. <clears throat> um, because although there, are, there is humour in what I do, I'm one of these terrible, pretentious people who... I don't know. I almost want to say I, I improvise theatre, but that sounds awful. Nobody wants to see that. Even I don't want to see that. But if I, you know, because I think, because the, you know, it, I can be funny with the things I do. That's not what I'm good at, especially. It's almost inadvertent or it's, um, it's not that I make jokes. It's that maybe there's the laughter of recognition when I say something that's true or something like that. So yeah. I've yet to come up with a particularly good way of, you know, describing what I do. <laughs> but I think that's what's great about improv as well is there's so many different styles of improv and it's all of these different styles that are sort of meshed together in a scene. So um, you've just described your style of improv. My style of improv is I like the, the quick funny jokes because my brain naturally loves puns and that's what I'm like in my everyday life. And it's great to be in an environment where, oh, puns are sort of appreciated here in improv. Like in the workplace, they're scoffed. by some people. <laughs> in the workplace they scoffed at and people roll their eyes but I've always appreciated that um, in improv people seem to like that you're at least having a go uh, with puns and things like that um, where there's other, lots of other improvisers and like their brain rarely will take them to try and find a punchline because it's all centered in what's this character doing? Where's this character going? Where's this character been? And I just love that you can take 
two completely different mindsets, put them into an improv scene together and still create something magical. Yes. Um, I have two thoughts. I will try and keep them both in my head. The first thought is Steve Rowe, again, from Hoopla, once said something very wise to me, and I'm sure he said it in a more concise way than I'm about to say it. But I think it was the first time we were going to do long long form improv. And he basically said that all improv is the same. Short form is the same as long form. Long form is short form. And it's all the same. And I'm like, yeah, it is. (laughs) And then um, the other thought is, um, there's good improv and there's bad improv, and that's true of all types of improv. There's good for, good short form, there's good long yeah. form, but there's also bad short form and also bad long form. But with the bad long form, it just goes on for a lot longer. <laughs> yeah. One thing I notice about long form, the more I do it, is you sort of rely on others around you to sort of edit on a high. <laughs> but I think the great thing about improvisers is even if it doesn't get edited on a high, you're stuck on the stage and you will still just do your best to keep that scene going as well as you can until someone does come in and edit it. Yeah. Um, And sometimes those are the moments of real invention. And I love eight things for that exact reason. Because most people can name one or two things from a particular category, but by the time you get to three or four, and certainly five or six things, you're you're really pulling things out of your unconscious, and you're surprising yourself and everybody else. So, yeah, that's what I hope would happen for a scene that's gone on for too long. But often it's just terrible. But they that's <laughs> improv. Uh, so you run uh, Improv London or London Improv. Yeah. Um, uh, you were right first time. I, I was right people, the first time. You were right first time. Um, nobody ever gets it right. Um, uh, yes, I am the host of the Improv London podcast. Although I haven't done an episode since December 2020. So I don't know how much the claim to fame that is. Um, but yeah, started in 2015 and I've done something like 140 episodes or something like that. And I did it because I wanted an excuse to sit down with improvisers and talk about improv. And somehow it felt easier to do that if I said, oh, by the way, can we record our conversation? I'll share it online mm-hmm. rather than just, you know, I'll buy you a coffee or something like that. I think that probably says something about me or the time of you know, existence we're in. Um, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. I hoped it would make me a better improviser. It made me a better podcaster, and that's also good. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, I've always been a fan of things. I've always written about things. Or, yeah, I used to do a lot of, you know, music journalism, things like that, yeah. um, unpaid. But, um, you know, so I'd always write about music as well as trying to make music. And I think this was an extension of that. It's like, yes, I want to do improv. But I also enjoy talking about improv and, you know, I love podcasts. I love the fact that, you know, well, I've, I've always preferred radio to TV. I've always, it's, it's a much more intimate format. Yeah. You're much more connected with the people and you can be listening while you're getting on with your lives and doing other things as well. So yeah, I love podcasts. So when you were setting up the podcast, was that the first time you were doing a podcast or had you done previous podcasts on other topics? 
No, um, no, this was this was the first podcast. Um, I I asked Steve Rowe, who is a man I mention a lot in my everyday life, as as well <laughs> as when I'm on podcasts. Um, I asked him if he'd like to be a guest, and he said yes. And so we recorded a session um, before a class he was teaching. We had a very finite amount of time to do it in, and at one point the um, a fire alarm goes off in the theatre deli where we're recording it. So I carry on recording <laughs> as we evacuate the building. Um, and he tells me quite a sweet story about how he once went upstairs to the offices above the rehearsal rooms um, to try and find somewhere to sleep. And there have been all these people um, actually working there in the office and saying he can't sleep there and that sort of stuff. So, you know, that's the only time I've ever been recording when I've been inter interrupted by a uh, fire alarm. <laughs> Uh, so you you were doing a lot of those recordings sort of face to face then. Yeah, that was hundred percent the point was for me to be in the room with the people, right. and yeah, it was only when you know we went into lockdown that I started recording remotely, and I'm like, oh, this is also fine. <laughs> I'm like, no, this really works, and in many ways, it's slightly easier to edit. Um, yeah, so I don't regret. Um, regret meeting people face to face because I just really enjoyed that and I had a lot of support from the nursery and they gave me there was an office that um they had that I was allowed to use and had lovely you know views over the London and things like that and yeah it, it did allow me to you know approach people and say yeah do you want to do you want to come and chat and um yeah I, I it was really great and I might do it again but equally, sometimes, okay, you haven't asked me for any advice about doing a uh, podcast about improv, but I'm going to give you some anyway. <laughs> um, the podcast must serve you rather than you serve the podcast. Yeah. And that's, that's what I wanted to do. I was still enjoying it when I did the last few episodes, but I wanted to stop before it felt like it was becoming a chore. So that's what I did. Uh, sounds like very good advice. And I, I've listened to lots of your episodes because uh, when Emma asked me to do this podcast, I, I sort of went deep into sort of like research mode and I wanted to find what my show should be, what my style should be. I didn't want to step on toes of others that were doing things like when you're like running an improv class, you don't want to set up something in an area where someone's already doing the same thing. So if you're going to do something in someone's area, you got to make sure it's, it's different. So you're not stepping on toes. So I've listened to lots of your episodes and tried to sort of find my own niche. And what you said there about not serving the, the podcast, it's serving you. That is so true because um, my life has been super busy, particularly since we've gone sort of more into the real world. This was a lot easier for me to manage during a pandemic when I had a lot more free time on my hands. And I've sort of been committed to getting an episode out pretty much every week since this show started. And now my workload is immense. I am still finding time to get an episode out every week. And it's because of all of the things that can go. I enjoy the podcast so much. I enjoy talking to improvisers. I just enjoy coming back for more. Well, I mean, that's great news because I just suddenly realized that I'm going to be in trouble with Emma 
if suddenly I've given you that advice and you decide you don't want to do it weekly anymore. So <laughs> wouldn't be having that. So um, uh, I'm glad to hear that you're carrying it on. And, and yes, I think it has to be, I know for me, it has to be a routine. I brought out an episode every Wednesday and, you know, I, I needed to do it every Wednesday because I needed to be that discipline. Because if you start slipping, you start slipping and then you get pod fade and it's, it's uh, that's good. So you listen to my podcast. Thank you very much for listening. I appreciate that. And I, I don't take it for granted that you listen to that as a guide to do what what to do or what not to do. What did you decide your style was in response to what I did? Well, when I very first started this show, I'd spoken with Emma a few times and we, we sort of had a conversation and she she described what she wanted and it was she wanted something like like Parkinson. I want real stories with these people. I want you to dig deep. And... Another up-to-date reference, remember, Bird. <laughs> so I was just so excited to have been sort of asked to, to host the show. And I didn't know anything about podcasting. I had to learn it all very quickly. And I thought, great, she wants Parkinson. She wants me to dig deep. Um, so I started to listen to loads of podcasts. And I was listening to your podcast. And I was listening to just podcasts in general. And I was like what are people's styles and i thought at the beginning right i'm going to have a set list of questions so i would run these questions past emma and emma would sort of say yes i like these questions uh, maybe not so much that one so then my first probably four five six episodes i'm basically just asking everyone the same questions so it's effectively the same interview with just interchangeable people answering and then the show just started to evolve and I started to come away from the script. And I think probably in the early episodes, it was more of a, it was a little crutch to, to help me through it to think, Oh, cause I was super stressful. I wanted it to be good. I, I, I didn't want to let LCI down cause I'm representing LCI, this place that I love so much. And the more I did it, I thought, Oh, actually it's way more interesting. If someone says something, and I just go with what they say. I don't need to just come back to my script all the time. And then I just gained the confidence over the next few episodes to just come away from the script completely and just start. So I mostly just start by saying, hey, how did you get into improv? And then we talk for about 45 minutes, just completely off the cuff. And I feel I get to know improvisers really well. I pick up tips along the way I get to share some of my wisdom that I've learned from other people and it's just a really enjoyable experience glad to hear it it's enjoyable to listen to as well oh, thanks <laughs> so when you started your podcast did you have a clear idea in mind or did you go off and listen to other podcasts first and think oh what do I want to be like so I was a big fan of uh the comedians comedian podcast okay uh which a um another Stuart who's the host um we don't get on me and other Stuarts but um <laughs> no he, he um is great and he he talks uh, it's well basically I, I followed the formula he talks to comedians talks to stand-ups and just tries to understand their process with the idea of getting better you know we've got these amazingly talented people let's find out how they do it so we can learn from it so it was always a it was always that side of things it's like 
you know, I want to find out what they do and then I want to find out how they do it so I can try and do my own version of that. Awesome. And in terms of comedy, what comedians do you enjoy? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Alistair Beckett King. I don't know. He, um, he's, uh, he's, um, Oh, I hadn't really thought about describing everyone. He's, um, well, I actually got into him. He does these really hilarious um, YouTube videos. Um, one's a spoof of every Scandi noir drama that's ever happened. Um, so he's really good. Um, Eleanor Morton, um, she does, I got into her through short things on YouTube as well. Um, she does kind of character stuff, sort of monologues and things like that okay. that are really hilarious um and then um Stuart Lee Richard Herring together or apart apart talking about each other apart not talking about each other <laughs> um yeah so I, I really I find stand-up hilarious and really interesting and I did a hoopla course in it and that was very good but also told me enough that it's not for me um, I'm not funny enough. And also, I like creating things in the moment with other people. It's that feeling of shared creation that improv gives you that you don't get from stand-up. So, Yeah. And I want to scoot right back to something you said earlier on in the interview about your tabletop role-play games. Mm. You said that the stories can go on for a long, long time. I want to ask, what is the the longest time period a story has gone on that you've been involved with? Ooh. Um, well, we played, there was a session that Pete and I were involved with um, and a couple of other players that we were playing for two or three years. This is real time rather than actually in game time. And the really fun thing that we did was that normally there's one in Call of Cthulhu, we call them the Keeper of Arcane Law, but if in Dungeons and Dragons, it's the Dungeon Master. So normally you have one person who's kind of directing the uh, story. What Pete and I did was I established the universe and you know set things rolling. And then I went, here, here you are. Here's some toys. You now run your game in my universe. And... That was really fun because I got the best of both worlds. I got to direct the show and I also got to be in the show. Um, and it's it's really nice having that shared imaginary history with people. And it is something that I think about doing in improv. I think closer each day, the improvised soap do it. So all of their shows follow on. All right. Um I don't know how practical it would be. The nearest thing is the improvathons, you know, when they go for 50 hours or that's all <laughs> in the same universe. Um, but it would be really fun to have that shared imaginary history, but it be an improv. Well, I haven't quite worked out how I would do it yet, but it was something I'd love to explore. And as an improv teacher, how do you deal with when you get people coming in and they're new to it, how do you get people to sort of calm themselves down? Because I've seen it when sometimes people come in and they're super excited and they just want to be in every single scene and they are constantly trying to make people laugh and they're not really taking the time to sort of take on board anything. 
that the teacher is saying or advice how can you get through to people that are like that to begin with like how do you bring them down and get them to listen yeah that's um i was about to say that's a good question and it is a good question but whenever everyone says it's that's a good question it's because they're buying themselves time <laughs> to think and i swore to myself i would not say that anything was a good question anyway i bought myself some time so now i have an answer um i would do some movement stuff i would get people moving around the room um spend some time not doing verbal things um get some time getting people used to the room moving around the room becoming aware of other people in the room maybe doing little interactions you know you can get you get people to move around and just you know greet people and just say hello and say hello and then carry on and then you can start you can do lots of things with that you could start doing character stuff so you could um you could get people to lead with different parts of their body and see what sort of characters they suggest or you could give them scenarios you could say you know you're walking on a summer's day by a river or something like that or you're rushing for the office and just to kind of you know so everybody's doing something but it's not words and yeah i'd probably try something like that good advice and i just want to talk about briefly the the zoom prov versus real life prov for a second because there's some things that i think work particularly well on mm -hmm. zoom that yes. even even better than in real life. One of those things is PowerPoint karaoke, which I absolutely love. And another one is Improv Olympics, which is an incredible game that works really well in real life. But um, to be able to just take the the actual commentators off screen and then just be a voice, I th think it works really well. Uh, are, are there any things that you particularly enjoyed more online than in real life in terms of games that are played? Yes, although I just want to mention my way into Passport Karaoke. So this, let's just check where, because a lot of games have the same names and they're different versions. Um, so Passport Karaoke, you're given a slideshow and you're asked to give a, yeah, okay, yeah. give a talk based on that. Um, my way into that is to go character first. So I will adopt a character before I start doing the carry, uh, the before I start doing the PowerPoint presentation. So, you know, in the past I've done like kind of, you know, a really sort of chilled out kind of surfer dude yeah. or someone that's, you know, really kind of mystical or something like that. And it just gives me a kind of a way into it because otherwise I'm like, I don't know who I am giving this. So, um, but I'm also a big fan of the Improv Olympics. So I love the idea that I can do improv and I can also get my hoovering done at the same time. This seems like a very efficient use of my time. And if somebody else is commentating and making me laugh and other people laugh at the same time, this seems like a useful way of using my time. So, yeah, no, I love both those games. Um, the thing that I particularly love, um, and uh, Imogen at the Bristol Improv Theatre introduced me to this, was just dubbing, getting films, getting TV programmes, putting them on the screen and getting people to dub in the, um, the voices. Um, is works brilliantly online and it looks great the only thing you have to be careful is that you can't stream some of the major streaming services 
So I was running a class and I had BritBox and I was like streaming all these things and I could see it fine. And everyone else was going, are we supposed to be able to see some <laughs> images or something like that? I'm like, oh yeah, that would be much easier. <laughs> you know, so, uh, but yeah, dubbing, um, I think works online is, is hilarious. And yeah, it's great. And what games do you particularly enjoy in person? Um, I do love eight things. I just think, um, you know, getting people, getting people to stand in the middle of the circle is often a big step for people. Yeah. And, um, and then getting them to trust that, um, you know, that they will be able to think of things. And that even if they can't, that's also funny as well. Um, I've done an extreme version. Um, and um, so you go for eight things extreme, you cross <laughs> your arms in an X in an X factor way. And then one person stays in the middle and that they given, they get, they turn to one person, they get given a category, they name eight things in that category. Then they move to the next person, they get given another category and they just go around <laughs> oh, wow. and do eight things, you know, eight or 10 times or something like that. And, you know, it's quite intense. So I always give people the option just to do the normal version. Um, but by the end of that, the stuff they're coming out with is just, you know. <laughs> and one thing I like doing is um, making a note of what people say during the eight things and then using it um, later on as, as prompts for scenes and things like that. That's always, you know, always, it's quite hard to do because people say stuff really fast and it's hard to write it down. Um, but yeah, love eight things. Um, I invented a game called Continental Hotel, which I really like playing. It's based on the John Wick films. Okay. I have okay. not seen the John Wick films. So, <laughs> but I'm, I had to say, this is probably all wrong. If people uh, are big John Wick fans, I apologize. So I get everybody in the room to uh, pretend they're really evil. They're really evil people. And they're just sitting around in a bar or something like that. And one person comes in. And then all in mime, they come in and they kill everybody. <laughs> so, so it's all in mime and it's a really good way of practicing losing in a scene. So anybody that's just in the bar, they die in a dramatic way as possible. And so, yeah, they practice, practice losing. And the idea being that the person that comes in and does all the killing um, kills everybody in a particular style. Okay. So... Um, let's say they, they come in and they like, I don't know, they, they, they put sort of imaginary chocolates in people's mouth or something like that, and they all die through poisoning. And then the last person to die goes, who, who are you? And then the, per, the person who's done all the murdering goes, I'm the milk tray man or something <laughs> like that. So you get like a fun pun at the end for, for those that like puns. Um, yeah, anyway. Hello. <laughs> but I love that you make up your own games. I make up a lot of my own games as well. And for me, I always say the best time to think is when you're having a shower or a bath, because like your your main focus is to just have the shower or bath. And now that doesn't matter what's going on in your life. You don't have to think about work or anything else in that particular moment. So that's when I think my mind is the freest. And it used to be in that time when I was, uh, more of a songwriter and a musician that used to be where all my song ideas would come to me in the shower or the bath uh, but now i find that in those times my mind just creates improv games and then i'll like bring them to the oikas every week and say oh could we try this game <laughs> yeah um i'm a big fan of 
not thinking about things as in letting inspiration if, if i'm planning a workshop i'll do a bit of work and i'll i'll decide a few things that are going to happen but i'll leave gaps and then yeah if i'm in a shower or in a bath or going for a walk you know the, the the my unconscious will give me the solution i sort of hand over the problem to my unconscious and then it'll yeah. come up with a solution when i'm not actively trying to find a solution yeah i think it's a good way to think about it handing over sort of the job to the subconscious because I do it when I'm writing when I'm writing scripts or anything I I find a starting point and I might not want this script for months down the road but you just put that little seed in the brain and then over time whenever your brain gets a bit of time to think it says oh there's a little idea why don't you write that one down and then I'll think of some more and I'll come back to you in a week or two and then you've got all these ideas so when it comes to writing what it is you want to write you've you've done all the groundwork yeah and and the vital part of that for me is yeah making the notes writing it down capturing it in some way because you think you'll remember but you won't yeah <laughs> it's true all uh, right well I've just seen time we're going to start to bring this to a close just before we go we know you're doing the LCI workshop on the 26th of March. Tickets still available at this point of recording, but I don't know. They'd probably be sold out by the time this goes to air. Well, I, I would um, uh, do, do check the Liverpool Comedy Improv website for details. <laughs> uh, and then the night before that, you will be performing. So uh, check their website for those ticket details as well. Is there anything else coming up that you'd like to point people in a direction of? So I think that's it for now. If people want to check out the Improv London podcast, there are four episodes currently available. Um, I need to sort out hosting and all sorts of things. But you can you can listen to the four most recent episodes. Um, you just do a search for Improv London podcast, you'll find that there. Um, I am on Twitter at Improv London and also on Instagram under the same address and also Facebook. Um, not massively active um on the podcast at the moment but do 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 get in touch and uh, be lovely to hear from people and uh who knows what the future holds <laughs> well we're going to bring it to a close i'm going to say a massive thank you to stuart for coming on it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you thank you very much i've had a lovely time Well, thank you so much to Stuart for that fantastic chat. It was really great to get his insight on on not just on improv, but on podcasting. And uh, I hope that everyone listening enjoyed that chat as much as I did. I, I think Stuart is a really great sort of improv teacher, great improviser, and just all around great person. He's got so much knowledge. He he really studied the craft so I, I do think if you get an opportunity to uh, go to a class with Stuart or see him perform or just take a session and be in it with him sort of just in the class then please do it because uh, I th you will learn a lot just from being in the same room as him or speaking with him or t taking his class and that brings us back to the 26th of March 1 to 4 p.m. If you are interested in going to this class, which is led by Stuart, Movement for Improvisers, then do check out the Liverpool Comedy Improv website and all the information you need is there. You can find it on Facebook as well. 
Movement for Improvisers, Saturday the 26th of March, 1 to 4 p.m. Uh, if you are free, go and take this class because I guarantee you will learn so much and you will have a great time doing it. And if you're free on the evening of the 25th of March, then Moses and Bird are going to be performing. So do check out the Liverpool Comedy Improv website for that as well. And if you're interested in, in hearing Stu as a podcaster, it's a great podcast. He talks to many great improvisers and you can search for the Improv London podcast. He said he's, he's dealing with a few issues of previous episodes, but there are some episodes available and he'll hopefully get all of the episodes back available for you soon. So just again, a massive thank you to Stuart. It was great to take the opportunity to hear all of his wonderful insight onto all things improv. Now, if you are interested in getting into improv or already involved in improv and want to try out a different improv scene, then all the info you need can be found at www.liverpoolcomedyimprov.co.uk. You can also check us out on Facebook by searching for Liverpool Comedy Improv and on Twitter and Instagram we are at Live Comedy Improv. We also have a Facebook page, just search for us on Facebook. Just find the Liverpool Comedy Improvcast and you'll find everything you need for the show there, including a trailer every Thursday for the new episode and the new episode links every Monday. If you are a member of the LCI community and you'd like to be a guest on the show, then please get in touch with me or with Emma Bird and we will make the arrangements as soon as possible. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please uh, rate the show, subscribe to the show, leave us a review. It's things like that that really help to give us a boost and get our name out there. If you're interested in following me on social media in any way, shape or form, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. Just search for at Ian Luke Jones on my YouTube channel in particular. You'll find lots of improv videos and you'll find lots of comedy moments plus various other things. So do check me out on YouTube. Give me a follow on there. And that pretty much brings us to an end this week. I hope you enjoyed this really interesting and insightful episode and I look forward to bringing you more great content next week but before i go here are some words as always that are wise 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 always remember whatever the situation to treat life like improv and yes and